You're listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. This talk was given at 2212 South Broad Street. For more information, visit us at circleofhope.net. So we have another special treat tonight. We asked our friend Mabel to give the talk. The message, Mabel, is um, one of our cell leader apprentices. Uh, she um, is one of the brightest people I know. She's an engineer and she's an artist, and so she manages to put um, science and art together, not just um, in the things she creates, but in her personality. You're just going to be able to see it oozing out of her. Um, so... Uh, she's speaking tonight about about waiting in her own life and um, right along with the shepherds. So let's welcome Mabel. Hey. All right. So here we go. As a Christian, I've always thought the practice of celebrating the birth of Christ in late December only to mourn his death and rejoice in his resurrection just a few months later was emotionally draining. I found it difficult to reconcile the cycle of joy and melancholy, but both seasons are essential to our experience, our journey, and our walk with God. We wade in the struggles of this journey, being a human, being a sibling, a roommate, a teacher, a friend, an employee, a citizen of a state, a leader, a member of God's ever-expansive universe. We look forward to deliverance from annoying siblings, overpiling bills, homework, relational conflict, oppressive governments, and other weighty responsibilities. Sometimes being a human is hard. And all we want is relief. Waiting for that is difficult. In our quest for immediate relief, we may or may not contemplate. Why wait for God's deliverance? What does deliverance from God even look like? The resolution to these questions is not readily accessible to us in a moment of pain or even in an extended season of whatever is afflicting us. Without answers from the spirit, in our human impatience, in our understandable impulse to be freed from our afflictions, we decide that we don't have time to wait for the spirit. We land on an answer that makes sense to us. We opt to save ourselves. We may even convince ourselves that our resolution is what the Spirit is moving us to do. But what the Spirit is moving us to do takes understanding. It takes time. It takes waiting. And in the journey of the wait, there is struggle. There is joy. There is depth. Experience that brings understanding, that helps us appreciate deliverance when it is here. That's what we're talking about today. I tried my best to focus this conversation, but I have so much to say. There are so many pieces that make the 
There are so many pieces um, of deliverance, uh, so many different aspects of waiting. So I encourage you to take and hold on to the pieces that make the most sense to you, that resonate with you. If it's in your capacity, stick with me. Let's follow the thread all the way through. But if you can't, that's okay. So, some of you might have seen my appeals on social media encouraging you to watch the recent Spider-Man film, Spider-Man Far From Home. I saw this film this summer because my little brothers really wanted to see it. So on a day off from work, I took them to the movies, fully anticipating to take a nap while they enjoyed the film. But I couldn't sleep. The film was pretty good. And I think it highlighted some pretty important themes about waiting for deliverance. In the film, Peter Parker, a high school student and superhero, Spider-Man, is trying to absolve himself from the marvelous responsibility that comes with being a superhero. Also, that's a pun. Marvelous. <laughs> no one got that the last time. Mar <laughs> from the marvelous responsibility that comes from being a superhero. It's the end of the school year, and he just wants to impress his crush, Mary, J, Mary Jane, MJ. During this school trip, <laughs> during this school trip to Venice, Italy, unfortunately for Peter, the world is un under attack by large monsters who take the form of elements like water and fire. Naturally, the monsters launch an attack in Venice, I Italy, where Peter is with his friends. In the absence of Iron Man, the former leader of the Avengers, world citizens and agents alike expect Spider-Man to save them from the monsters. Initially, Peter resists, but he is eventually drawn into the mission of saving the world. The agent who enlists Spider-Man for the mission gives Peter a pair of glasses willed to him by Iron Man to help him lead their cohort, uh, cohort of superheroes. These glasses are equipped with artificial intelligence, access to databases, and the, have the ability to com command weaponized drones. Ultimately, Peter is able to accomplish his goal in saving the world with assistance from a fellow superhero, Mysterio. While working with Mysterio, Peter confesses, I didn't think I would have to save the world this summer. And the 16-year-old young man from Queens eagerly offers his fellow hero, Mysterio, his weaponized glasses in an attempt to deliver himself from the responsibility of being a lead superhero. Peter, now delivered, goes off to enjoy the rest of his trip with his friends and have some time with his crush, MJ. But here's the issue. Mysterio isn't a superhero. And the monsters were only illusions for him to attain these glasses and power. I would say Peter's desire to just be a teenager and not be a superhero is reasonable. I could not imagine the level of responsibility that that entails. Though Peter's case is more extreme, I believe his struggle resonates more with our daily experience than is obvious. 
We don't have to save the world, thankfully. But sometimes, when everything seems to be going wrong, or it's even just a little tough, it can feel like the weight of the entire world is on our shoulders. In this moment, nothing would feel better than to be delivered from that feeling. Nothing would be better than to give that weight to someone else or to just run away completely. It doesn't even have to be a big catastrophic thing. Sometimes it can just be unrest. I've spoken in greater detail about the weight I've carried at this podium before and more intimately with my cell groups. So today, I will not go into great depth about my struggle. I will only touch on the parts of Peter's story that strongly resonated with me. Throughout my college experience, I faced a variety of obstacles. I had physical obstacles like immigration-related and financial issues, but I also struggled internally, being subjected to relational traumas and lacking or denying support as I dealt with insecurities about my capabilities. At the time, I was so out of touch with myself that I did not even recognize the toll that carrying all of this weight was taking on me. Instead of reflecting, meditating, and waiting for the deliverance that I needed, I filled my space and time with things that freed me temporarily. Particularly with my emotional trauma, I sought to hastily deliver myself from loneliness without leaving space for discernment by diving into relationships with friends, family members, and organizations that appeared to fulfill my need or be what I wanted at first, only to reveal themselves as unstable, volatile, and harmful for me and others involved. Like Peter, my desire to be accepted, loved, and supported was reasonable, but my resolution only extended or brought more struggle into my experience. I was bullied, so I felt more disconnected. I was so disconnected that I became depressed. In this season of sadness, I spent a long time wallowing, angrily lamenting to God and wondering when he would free me from this pain and disappointment that I experienced in my relationships. I felt useless and incapable, alone and confused. I resolved that I couldn't be freed at all and that people were the worst. I dragged myself to all my classes that I could with as much effort as I had. At first, I did not know I was depressed. So even in the storm, I criticized myself for not having the energy or capacity to perform at a high level in school, relationships, everything. The perfectionist in me recognized herself as a colossal failure. I remember being in the library crying because I couldn't complete a project which I believed to be something that was easy for me to accomplish previously. Realizing I could not deliver myself from what was wrong, I went to Temple's University's counseling center that day. After several sessions, my counselor diagnosed me with depression. Though depression is 
assessed as a harmful mental health condition. It is also scientifically perceived as the brain's effort to survive and protect itself in a moment of distress by forcing the individual to slow down and refocus their attention to their needs. I would speak to the front desk security guard and my academic counselor who would do their best to convince me that I was succeeding merely through effort. By waking up every day and engaging in the struggle, I was doing my part. That was the spirit talking to me. I want to be clear, God did not give me depression. I had been carrying a lot of weight already, and instead of taking care of myself or reaching out for healthy avenues of support, in my fear and sometimes arrogance, I resolved that I could carry it all by myself. When I could admit to myself that I needed help, I was able to recognize God's call to simply do my best in existing. God did not need me to be perfect or as smart as I was before. He needed me to calm down, to give my best effort daily as I sought his guidance, to be patient and wait on his promise. For the past two, sorry, for the past two years, in my moments of sadness, with my heart and my eyes open wider, I've seen God everywhere. I found myself in situations where strangers were meeting my needs. I remember being on the train and I forgot my wallet. When the conductor asked me for my fare and it was apparent that I had no money, multiple people on the train volunteered their cash to the point that I had a surplus. And when I expressed I had a surplus, they encouraged me to keep it because I should and walk around without cash. That's literally, someone said that to me. And that was just so amazing. In another instance, I remember feeling particularly down at an Erica Badu concert. When I got to the concert arena, I felt more compelled to be in bed. I ran into a friend from high school and she invited me to follow her to her section closer to the stage because there was an empty seat next to her. It was a great seat and I began to really enjoy the concert. Then I saw the woman who had purchased the seat coming down the aisle. My heart sunk. This was surely going to be awkward. She looked at me and she said, you're small, we can share this seat. <laughs> I was, Amaze. In one of my lowest moments, here was this stranger extending the seat that she had paid for to me. Though less spiritually profound, at the moment, at that moment at the Erica Badu concert, everything began to change. Much like the shepherds who long to be delivered by their mundane lives when they receive the word of the coming of Christ. I could receive joy in the midst of pain. And like the shepherds who leave their flock to pursue, to pursue the joy of Jesus's arrival, I decided to trust in God's ability to deliver me. 
In my waiting, I've still had times of sorrow, but I've been able to lean into the joy of good news. Optimism and God's light shining through the people I've encountered the last couple of years has paved the path for deliverance. I hope you can tell, but I've found some connection. I'm speaking in front of a group of people who I admire and love. There has been a great deal of deliverance, but of course, I meet new challenges daily. Instead of quickly operating from a place of insecurity to dictate my own deliverance, I do my best to trust, to have patience, and to take comfort in the fact that God is always with me. And through it all, there is good news. Thanks for listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. If you want to talk about it or get connected to a cell, you can find one under our Connect drop-down at circleofhope.net.